0: Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking at 1 Nephi 16 through uh, 20, and I want to just give you some verses that are fascinating and interesting to me. So much has been written and shared about these, these chapters, but I have some extra things I wanted to share that were not shared on the Follow Him podcast. One of the things I think was really interesting is when you go to 1 Nephi sixteen twenty three. it says, It came to pass that I, Nephi, did make out of wood a bow, and out of a straight stick an arrow. Wherefore, I did arm myself with a bow and an arrow, with a sling and with stones. And I said unto my father, Whither shall I go to obtain food? Now, if you were listening to the Follow Him podcast, I mentioned the the two footnotes on verse 23 are initiative and honoring father and mother. Just a couple of great lessons that that here's Nephi given a commandment, provide food for the family, and his bow breaks. And he could have looked heavenward and said, how could you let this happen to me? But instead, let's see, what should I do? Okay, I'm going to make a new bow. And then he goes to his father, honoring father and mother, because Lehi was in the middle of of murmuring. Now, this is what I wanted to mention that I think is so interesting that it's one of those things you can go right past, is just the question of why did Nephi need to make a new arrow? He presumably already had arrows. He only said that he broke his bow. He didn't say he broke all of his arrows. But it said, I did make out of wood a bow and out of a straight stick an arrow. Well, there is an essay written by David S. Fox in a letter to FARMS. FARMS was the foundation for ancient research and Mormon studies, and now it's called the Neely Maxwell Institute. But, and there's a, a few books that they put together. One of them is called Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon, which has a ton of these FARMS articles on it. I think John Welch is the, the major editor of that. I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. And this is what David S. Fox says. An examination of Nephi's account shows whoever wrote that account was familiar in some detail with the field of archery. Consider what happens to an arrow at the instant the string is released. The full force of the drawn string is applied to the end of the arrow, trying to accelerate it, but also tending to bend or buckle the arrow. If the bow's draw weight and the arrow's stiffness are not perfectly matched, the arrow will stray off the intended course or fall short of the mark. An arrow that is too flexible will leave the bow with a vibration that can cause an arrow to behave erratically. On the other hand, an arrow that is too stiff is probably too heavy for the bow. Nephi's steel bow likely used heavier, stiffer arrows than his simply fashioned wooden bow could handle. Nephi was physically large, see 1 Nephi 2.16 and 4.31, and he would have had little reason to, to use a bow made from metal if he did not have considerable strength the arrows to match the steel bow used by such a man would undoubtedly have been quite heavy in order for them to be of adequate stiffness. One experienced archer reports, the arrows from the steel bow, when shot from the wooden bow, would be like shooting telephone poles. Hence, it is accurate that Nephi should mention, in one and the same breath, the fact that he made an arrow as well as a bow. Bow wood and arrow wood from the same tree or area could be matched as well. One doubts that such information was known to Joseph Smith or to many, if any, of his contemporaries. Archery, as a means of self-defense or as a serious method of hunting or warfare, went out of vogue among Europeans many years before the time of Joseph Smith. On the other hand, archery as a sport did not emerge until the latter half of the 19th century. So, David Fox concludes Nephi's statement that he made An arrow out of a straight stick is an additional subtle but significant example of internal consistency within the Book of Mormon. Anyone unfamiliar with the field of archery would have almost certainly omitted such a statement. And then I love this concluding line, another bullseye for the Book of Mormon. (laughs) So that's awesome. Now, what else can I look at in chapter 16? Verse 34, it came to pass that Ishmael died and was buried in the place which was called Nahum. We can race right past that, But you'll notice that there were other places along the way in this journey that they named this. We're going to call this river Laman, or we're going to call this valley. We're going to call this area Shazer. But here we are, a place which was called Nahum. Okay, that's a risk if you are some farmer in New York and you're just making up names like that, because somebody can go back and say, "Oh, really? Let's see if on the Arabian Peninsula in 600-ish BC." There was a place called Nahum, and there's an interesting article. Well, this is an old one. There's been a lot written since, but I have News of the Church, Ensign, February 2001. Lehi named certain places where the family stopped along the journey, but this place, the place where Ishmael died and was buried, was already named Nahum. This brief mention of a specific place gives us an opportunity to do some archaeological research. Was there such a place on the Arabian Peninsula, Did that place exist at the time Lehi and his family passed through? There was, and it's where it's supposed to be, and it existed when it was supposed to exist. How could Joseph Smith have known this? He didn't know, but God knew, and his prophet translated the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God. So that Nahum place, there's been a lot written about it since, but it's exactly where it ought to be and when it ought to be, And also you read that they went nearly eastward from that time forth, which brings up another interesting thing. They get to a place that they named Bountiful because it had so much fruit. And you're thinking, what kind of place could possibly exist on the Arabian Peninsula that is Bountiful? That place was called the Empty Corridor. And it's kind of fun today because you can basically go to Google Earth and you can find along the southern strip there of the Arabian Peninsula this little strip of green where there are, and there's a freshwater source, there's a timber source, there's fruit, which to the Bedouin would be like palm trees, date palms, and stuff like that. So it's kind of another bullseye where that land bountiful might have been. Some scholars think of Wadi Syke as a good place. Wadi, W-A-D-I-S-A-Y-Q, Wadi Syke, or down the coast. I think it's in the kingdom of Oman or something, but some places that would be, that drop right off, perfect place to launch a ship, that have a mountain that you can, you know, that Nephi goes up to and that his brothers try to throw him off of. So there's some really cool things there that, that fit exactly. All right, we need to move on. I want to give you some more stuff. In 1 Nephi 17, we have Nephi being constructed to build a ship, and one of the things that I did want to show you is 1 Nephi 17, verse 35 and verse 40, and I I mention these when I teach Book of Mormon on the first day of class, because when we start with 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 1, which everybody knows and remembers, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught in all the learning of my father, and having been highly favored of the Lord. This idea of being favored in our age of everything, everybody wants everything to be equal all the time, that doesn't sound right. Did God have favorite people? Oh no. And I think I mentioned this on the Follow Him podcast, but I always tie that that first verse of being favored to First Nephi 17, verse 35 and 40. First Nephi 17, verse 35. Behold, the Lord esteemeth all flesh in one. He sees us and esteems us all equally. He that is righteous is favored of God. So righteousness is our choice, and we choose favorite status. I joked on the podcast, there's Lamanites, Nephites, Jacobites, Josephites, Zormites, and there's favorites. We can choose to be a favorite. Same thing down to verse 40. He loveth those who will have him to be their God. I think he loves everybody, but I think this means he favors those who will have him to be their God. You put yourself in a place where you're able to receive inspiration. That's something you did. I think God sends inspiration and some of us can't hear it because of the the choices we are making. So those verses I thought were important. I want to go ahead to, let's see. Chapter 19, I thought was has a, a verse in it that I feel is a really important verse. And that's first Nephi chapter 19, verse 9. And my memory is that Elder Maxwell quoted this one in some of his talks, Elder Neale Maxwell. And it's a prophetic verse, first Nephi nineteen nine, and it's talking about the the God of Israel. Verse eight says, he cometh according to the words of the angel 600 years from the time my father left Jerusalem. That gives us a nice timestamp of 600 BC. Verse nine, the world, because of their iniquity, shall judge him to be a thing of naught. Uh, Wherefore, they scourge him, and he suffereth it. They smite him, and he suffereth it. Yea, they spit upon him, and he suffereth it. And here's this prophecy that Jesus will be scourged and spit upon. And then it has a because, and I love the because. Why does he suffer it? There's a reason. And I I love this, this because it could have been so many other things. But this is what it says. Let me go back and read it again. Yea, they spit upon him and he suffered because of his loving kindness and his long suffering towards the children of men. And I've put in my margin, because of his love and his patience, when I think about what the Savior went through, the humiliation of scourging and crucifixion and all of those things, and the just horrific pain of it, why was he willing to do that? And you could come up with a list of reasons, of possibilities, maybe, that, well, he said he would, maybe out of a sense of duty, of obedience to his Father. But this verse says that these powerful motives are love mm-hmm. and patience. In section 19 of the Doctrine and Covenants, it says, Behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, comma, that they might not suffer if they would repent. Now, look at the love part of that equation there. I would prefer to do this myself than to see others go through this. And so those two reasons help me kind of understand the the character of the Savior there. Because of his love and his long-suffering towards us, he was willing to uh, go through what he went through. So I love those verses. And then we get these two Isaiah chapters in 1 Nephi 20 and 21 and in in my isaiah for airheads book i take the synopsis and reprint that of course the little italicized line that precedes each chapter in the book of mormon but here's my expansion here is brother by the way's overview of first nephi 20 in one paragraph members of the house of israel talk about god but don't rely on him The Lord has shown and will show the house of Israel many things that are to come, but they are stubborn and rely on their own wisdom and their idols. The Lord still loves them and will refine them in the furnace of affliction. The Lord created the heavens and the earth and has raised up a servant to declare his words to the people. The people should follow the Lord's way and flee Babylon. You know, I was thinking as we were recording recently that, We hear, and sometimes I think the rumors are stronger than the reality, but I don't know for sure that people are just leaving the church all the time. Well, they are. We are told to flee Babylon. Some are fleeing bountiful. (laughs) That's what I thought of. Why would you flee bountiful? That's a bad idea, to flee bountiful, because this this is where the tree of life is in the gospel. First Nephi 21, let me give you that synopsis too. 1 Nephi 21, this is Brother By-the-Way's synopsis in one paragraph. The Lord's servant, who is Christ, and perhaps other servants engaged in the work of the Lord, was foreordained to glorify God. The servant will gather scattered Israel and be a light to the Gentiles. The Lord confirms that he loves Zion and will not forget her, but will gather her. The Gentiles will help in the gathering, and the Lord will defend his people at that day. So one of the things that we've talked about on the title page is that there are different audiences and perhaps because Nephi Nephi's people are now not in the land that was given to their fathers they're given into a new land a promised land they're in a different area code they're in a different hemisphere but they are still house of Israel so I like that in verse 1 of first Nephi 21 which is you know Isaiah 49 it says, listen, O isles unto me. They consider themselves upon an isle of the sea because they had to cross the sea to get there. And so that must have sounded like, oh, wow, Isaiah is talking to us right here and made Isaiah more relevant to that audience, this part of the house of Israel that was broken off. And then in 1 Nephi chapter 22 we have these Nephi commenting on these Isaiah chapters that he has just read and the promises that will come to the house of Israel and the gathering in the last days. One of the things I like to look at is verse 23. The time speedily cometh that all churches, and when I read churches a lot of times in the Book of Mormon, it's it's organizations in the latter days, which are built up to get gain, and all those which are built up to get power, those which are built up to become popular, those who seek the lusts of the flesh and the things of the world, and do all manner of iniquity, yea, and find all those who belong to the kingdom of the devil, are they who need to fear, tremble, and quake. They are those who must be brought low to the dust. They are those who must be consumed as stubble. This is according to the words of the prophet. Now listen to those phrases which are kind of natural man Pop culture, this is exactly what a lot of organizations on earth are doing. They're not interested in building the kingdom of God, but building their own kingdom or their own followers, their own number of likes, to what? To do what? Any organization that's built up to get gain, to get power, to become popular in the eyes of the world and to seek the lusts of the flesh. Lots of organizations are built up to do exactly that. Get gain, get power, seek lusts of the flesh, do whatever you want type of a thing. Those are those that are going to be consumed as a stubble, which is a kind of a frightening warning. At the very end of First Nephi 22, Nephi says, Wherefore, my brethren, I would that ye should consider the things which have been written upon the blast on the plates. Wherefore, my brethren, I would that ye should consider That the things which have been written upon the plates of brass are true, and they testify that a man must be obedient to the commandments of God. Wherefore, ye need not suppose that I and my Father are the only ones that have testified and also taught them. Wherefore, if ye shall be obedient to the commandments and endure to the end, ye shall be saved at the last day, and thus it is. Amen. So here is maybe Nephi and Lehi trying to say, Look, guys, this isn't just us talking. This is, and you know, they open up the plates of brass. This is the scriptures talking. These are the prophets who are telling us this. This this isn't just my idea or Lehi's idea. And I think we do the same thing. President Nelson is testifying of what's in the scriptures, and the scriptures are testifying of what President Nelson says. And I love what I heard Brother Brad Wilcox say once, is that we want our youth to get to the point where they're not saying, this is my mom's church or my dad's church or my grandpa's church or my grandma's church. This is my church. We are all in this together, and it's not adults against youth or youth leaders against youth. It is not at all. It is all of us against the adversary who is, who, whose uh, kingdoms will be destroyed and will be destroyed like, like stubble, like it says there in verse 23. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you today, and onward and upward as we go through the book Mormon.